0: Hello everyone and welcome back to New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast. I am your host Crawford Gribbon and today my guest is Tricia Colleen Bruce. Tricia is an affiliate of the University of Notre Dame Centre for the Study of Religion and Society and we're going to be talking to Tricia today about her new book, Parish and Place, Making Room for Diversity in the American Catholic Church, recently published by Oxford University Press. Tricia, congratulations on the book and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Great to be in the conversation. appreciate it.
0: Well, we appreciate your time coming to talk to us today. Before we begin, could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So I am a sociologist uh, of religion and, and someone who specializes especially in, in looking at the Catholic Church, although I've done a variety of other projects as well. But I'm uh, I have the Notre Dame affiliation, but I actually reside in Knoxville, Tennessee. So I live in the, the southern part of the U.S. Uh, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. Um, I was a, a the daughter of a military father. And so we actually moved around a bunch, lived in, in Germany for a little while, West Germany at the time uh, when I was young and have moved around a bunch in the States, uh, but have been here in East Tennessee for about ten years uh, and have a couple kiddos now, uh, age ages nine and seven, so they, they keep things entertaining as well.
0: <laughs> Good. Well, it sounds busy. Uh, I mean, reading this book sounds makes you sound incredibly busy as well. You've done a huge amount of travel even to map the congregations and parishes that you describe uh, within this project. But can you tell us before we begin to talk about parish and place, making room for diversity in the American Catholic Church, how does this book relate to your previous research on American Catholicism?
1: Yeah, sure. So, when I first uh began my really my dissertation research is where a lot of my um, Catholic specific work uh, came. You know, I, I had done a, a master's project um, that was uh, on Catholic charities, immigration, and refugee services. But at the time when I was living in uh, Santa Barbara, California, getting my doctorate from the University of California, Santa Barbara, um, it was right around the time, actually, when the the crisis of, of abuse in the church at that time uh, really hit in a uh, a big and and um, painful way. Of course for many uh catholics and others these realizations around early 20 uh 2002 and i realized at that time um that you know seeing the response to this uh, crisis of, of abuse and revelations that that priests had been abusive and then had been transferred around from place to place um i in particular ended up actually going to a um A movement gathering a gathering of lay Catholics who were uh, just incensed and wanted to change the church Uh, and they actually uh, in time mobilized under the umbrella of the name voice of the faithful and so I ended up for my dissertation work actually looking at how this lay Catholic group mobilized from within the church to uh, make change um, both in terms of of prevention of abuse and beyond Um, and I found through that work you know the Catholicism is such a fascinating um, window into so many different arenas of social life, whether it has to do with how people work in groups, um, what we look like when we organize, um, you know, lines of, of uh, race or uh, gender or migrant status, you know, all of these things kind of intersect in, uh, in, in people's religious identities and the way that they um, live out that religion. And so for me, Catholicism has been a um, an avenue into really many of the core questions about social life, um, and it was you know from that that initial my st- dissertation, which became my first book, which was called "Faithful Revolution: How Voices of the Faithful Is Changing the Church," um, I came to be really more aware of how um, Catholics navigate their own Catholic identity um, and how that happens within the context of the structure of the church. You know, so there's this real interplay between individual level Catholicism, if we want to call it that, and then the macro level, institutional level uh, Catholicism. And then that gets uh, mitigated really by this meso level, the the parish. Uh, And so my second project really took me more in the direction of of parishes. uh, And and in fact, I have another book coming out soon related to American parishes and trying to think about those sociologically. So those are some of the thread, the connected threads for my own work.
0: Well, that's fascinating and and lots of these threads crop up again and again in this book, don't they? um yeah. can you tell us about the size of the American Catholic Church and perhaps describe some of its changing demographics,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, now in terms of the U.S. Catholic Church, um, just shy of a quarter of Americans um, are Catholic. And the numbers sometimes are a little bit um, fuzzy for this reason. One is that depends on if you count, you know, self-identification versus, you know, reports in various forms. Um, A lot of the numbers that we have from research groups like Pew only are counting adult Catholics. And the the American Catholics, actually, um, there's a huge contingent of younger, uh, under 18 Catholics. So the numbers are a little bit fuzzy, uh, but depending on who you, who you, um, you know, which source you use, um, there are you know upwards of 75 million Catholics at this point in the United States. Um, the number is a little lower if you're looking at just adult Catholics, but it is the, the new General Social Survey data that that just came out a couple of weeks ago, um, puts US Catholics at about 23% of the overall population. But what's amazing about that that percentage, which has actually maintained relative stability for decades really, is that there's a lot of change therein, demographic change. Um, so the the church once looked pretty different and Catholics once looked pretty different um, than they do today. Uh, so for example now, the church is much more heavily um, Hispanic-Latino than it once was. Uh, about 59% of American Catholics are white at this point, about 34% um, are Hispanic-Latino. There are smaller proportions of black Catholics and Asian Catholics, um, but these groups, particularly with um, Asian Catholics, this, group's, this group is growing as well. Um, this is actually, um, uh, Asian Catholics are have a higher rate of growth even than Hispanic Catholics at this point. Um, um, and there are a high percentage of foreign born Catholics now, too. Um, you know, in general, uh, there are about 27 percent um, first gen uh, Catholics compared to only about 15 percent in the general public. Um, so you see a, an increasingly diverse uh, American Catholic population, uh, both in terms of uh, race, ethnicity and foreign born status. And that's created a lot of different kinds of challenges for the, the church and for the structure of the church to try to accommodate um, differences uh, on top of other kinds of differences, whether it's political um, or preferences for styles of liturgy or otherwise. Um, it makes that big umbrella as it were um, a you know really um, wide and encompassing uh, attempt to to address all these kinds of diversity within.
0: Hmm. It it strikes me reading through your book uh, that that, that one of the anomalies of of, of the history of American Catholicism is that the the church has often been associated with immigrants or with immigration. And and the irony of this, of course, given that uh, America is itself a a nation of immigrants by and large. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the parish structures that you describe in the book here in, in, in Europe? We're very familiar with territorial structures for parishes. You also talk about national parish structures and the subject of your book, which is personal parish structures.
1: Right. Yeah. So the the canon law or the formal regulation in the Catholic Church uh, states that parishes, for the most part, are stipulated by geography or territory. So what that means is that you know, not unlike a schooling district or a polling area, you know, if you live within a particular geographic context or neighborhood, then you are supposed to go to a particular parish. Or another way to say this is that that parish is responsible for you or for everyone in that given territory. So diocese, which is the, the, these are the broader geographic areas that encompass multiple parishes, Um, dioceses will have maps that actually draw out parish boundaries. So, you know, certain areas belong to certain parishes. This is the territorial model of the parish. So in theory, then, every inch of the globe, wherever you are, is contained within a parish. Um, But, you know, the interesting thing about the U.S. context is that, uh, you know, given... Uh, the history of the church and the church arising in a, a more heavily Protestant area, which organizes differently, then there was a, a bit of a clash almost between uh, parish as territory and the preference or the desire of of Catholics to organize along uh, homophily really along characteristics of similarity, whether um, you know in particular uh, ethnicity really comes up very early on so you have. Polish Catholics who want to uh, be in a parish together. You have Portuguese Catholics who want to be in a parish together. And so early on in the formation of the U.S. Catholic Church, then many of these parishes organized not along territorial lines, uh, but along the lines of, of special purpose or similarity Um, which, you know, if you're sort of following along from the, the original, uh, part of my response, means that they're not exactly compliant, right? There is, this is sort of a different, a different model. Um, and early on, these were called national parishes, uh, and these proliferated in the, the early history of, of U.S. Catholicism. Uh, but then, um, and this is summarizing a lot of history in a brief period of time, but um, there was a bit of a backlash to that for for a few reasons. You know, one, um, there was a. Um, a fear that lay Catholics perhaps were having too much say over what their parishes looked like and and how, where that organization came from. And maybe they looked a little too Protestant, as it were. Uh, but then also there was a, an idea, too. And this related to, um, of course, times of war and national identity and patriotism saying, well, we should all be able to integrate together into our territorial parishes. We should not have our our separate parishes based on national identities." Um, So this this uh, the national parish development kind of ebbed for some time back in starting around um, the the, around the 1920s. Uh, And then you fast forward a bit and you get um, massive changes in immigration law in U.S. history and in particular the abolition of of quotas on immigration from certain areas um, that happened in 1965 which had a massive change an uh, impact on the church and Amer- the American population um, at large in terms of really diversifying and catalyzing all this demographic change that we just described a few moments ago. And so it raises the question again, then, of well, how are parishes organized? Um, and part of what happens out of this time, um, as well as the changes of the Second Vatican Council, um, which was 1962 to 1965, was the recognition that maybe there is a parallel model of parish building that could potentially happen alongside the territorial model of parish building, which is that of the, the personal parish. So it's a it's a reclamation of an older form. Um, you know, the personal parish term itself is not new. Um, and yet the new iteration of canon law which emerged out of the second Vatican Council, it wasn't published until 1983, but it came it sometimes is called the last document of the Second Vatican Council. Yeah. But it created a canon or a rule that essentially said bishops, a local bishop, could uh, create a parish, um, you know, usually on the basis of territory, but as needed um, on the basis of whether it's nationality, language, or for some other reason. And so since that time, you've had bishops then, uh, in some cases, very creatively, using personal parishes um, that don't have territorial boundaries that draw from anywhere in the diocese to create these specialised pockets of, um, of meaning and of community for local Catholics that aren't just based on geography. Hmm.
0: So you've, you've described there are some of the varieties of personal parish that exist today. Racial slash ethnic, um, political, people interested in social mission, Um, differences in liturgical style. Your book describes very effectively uh, Anglican use, Catholics, as well as traditional Latin mass personal parishes. Could you talk us through these different varieties of personal parish?
1: So like the older model of the national parish, um, the most common new version or newly established personal parish is also Based on uh, race or ethnicity, uh, so there are a number of personal parishes today that um, cater to niche populations of Catholics uh, because they they might have you know particular needs and, and shared experiences that come from their shared ethnicity. Uh, so one of the more common forms of personal parishes today um, is uh, one that serves Asian Catholics. However, there are no quote unquote Asian personal parishes. All of those are ethnic-specific, so there are Korean personal parishes, there are Vietnamese personal parishes, um, and these are personal parishes that then uh, are able to foster a particular kind of community for uh, for people who share a, a language and experience, perhaps um, migration history or, or shared concerns on a variety of fronts. Um, there are other parishes also that are Uh, that cater to particular populations based on race or ethnicity. Um, There are some pan-Hispanic uh, personal parishes. So this was this is more racially designated than ethnically designated. Uh, so parishes that, that um, try to meet the needs of a, a Hispanic community in an area, oftentimes when that um, community is small relative to the broader Catholic population. So maybe they're not dispersed among lots of territorial parishes, but instead they have one or a handful of, of personal parishes. Um, so the largest chunk, as it were, of personal parishes uh, continue to serve Catholics on the basis of ethnicity or race. Um, But there are other types. Uh, So, for example, the, the next largest contingent are those that serve um Catholics who are particularly interested in the traditional Latin Mass. So the older form of the Mass uh that predates the changes that that came with the introduction of the 1962 Roman Missal. Um and essentially, you know, these are uh folks who are were attracted to for a variety of reasons um the high liturgy of Catholicism, the old pre Vatican II forms where, you know, women wearing the veils, um a more um, you know, I think some would describe this as a more conservative iteration of Catholicism. Uh, and there's an order of priests who is especially uh, committed to serving and starting personal parishes that are devoted to the traditional Latin mass. Um, and then beyond that, you have, yeah, some for the the um, Anglican use. And, and sometimes there are entire congregations that uh, convert from um, their Episcopalian identity in the U.S. to be to join the church, the Catholic Church. Um, uh, or there are priests who are former um, Anglican priests, former Episcopalian priests, who uh, then come in. By there, there was a, a change in uh, again the rules of the Catholic Church some years ago that enabled that, and so that creates this space for. Um, for friendliness to um, an Anglican style of worship uh, that the personal parish can now accommodate. So again, it's kind of a, a particular liturgical style. Um, and then it goes on from there. You know, you have, have personal parishes that, um, there's even a personal parish for young Catholic musicians. There's <laughs> a personal parish devoted to a uh, social mission to downtown or for social justice. I mean, really, it goes back to that canon law regulation that says a bishop can create a parish, you know, usually for based on territory, but also for some other reason. And so some bishops have really um, taken some leeway in interpreting what that means and constituting these specialized groups that that um, take all these different characteristics.
0: And your book, as you move through each chapter, really vividly brings these different kinds of styles to life. I was really struck. Uh, I mean, a number of your accounts are are quite amusing, but I was really struck by the way in which you describe some of the traditional Latin Mass faith communities that 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 you went to um, yeah. with v- very particular. Requirements for for clothing, even for you as yeah. a visitor, uh, but right. but also you you, you noticed whenever you visited uh, those personal parishes, how often they were dominated by large numbers of children. Right. Uh, it's it's often not at all the, the vision of conservatism that that, that we <laughs> see, is it in in the media? Can you tell us a little bit more about these traditional Latin mass personal parishes?
1: Yeah. What's amazing about traditional Latin mass personal parishes is that, you know, I think even among Catholics, the perception is that, oh, these are the people who lived through Vatican II back in the early 60s, but didn't really like the changes. Or maybe they just have a fondness for what the, the church they experienced in their youth. And mm-hmm. so they want to go back. So you almost expect, well, it's going to be a bunch of older people, right? Old, older Catholics. But that, in fact, is not what you see you know, if you if you look at um who's in the pews in these traditional Latin mass personal parishes um, from the priest's to the people, they tend to be very young. Uh, you know, the, oftentimes the priests, you know, in in his 30s potentially. Um, you know, there are a lot of young priests who are really attracted to this particular form of the mass, uh, and then the you know filled with families, young people, um, singles who who just find this um, you know this particular attraction to the the otherness or the high ritual that is the traditional Latin mass that for many of them they they never did experience as. Youth, because they were born after the changes of Vatican II, and didn't have that. Um, You know, on the on the kid piece too. You know, these are uh, are families who are more likely to. Abide by traditional church teaching in terms of natural family planning. Uh, and so you do, um, you know, see families often that, that, uh, reflect this kind of, um, openness to very large families. So much, much higher fertility rates, right? Than what you would, what you see in terms of the average American family. Uh, and, and, uh, creates this heightened, um, yeah, there's a real strong sense of community, I would say, um, that, that is very distinctive as an American Catholic experience, for sure.
0: Now, it, it, on the way through the book, as, as you describe one of these particular um, visits you made to a traditional Latin mass personal parish, you mentioned that a, a large number of the families who attended were, homeschooler, were, were homeschooling. It, it struck me as, uh, again, one of those one of those really surprising moments in your book. Where in the traditional parish model we would expect parish life to be based around the school, and in fact you you, you observe uh, at one point in the book, don't you, that very often as parishes were formed, ter- territorial parishes were formed, mm-hmm. the, the, the worship was conducted first in a school and and, and then gradually uh, in, in in a consecrated building. Um, yeah. But 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 yet he, here are here are the most perhaps you might say the most traditional group of Catholics that you encountered, and they're not using parish schools.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There is definitely some irony there. You know, schools are a really interesting piece of the story overall, too, because, um, you know, part of what what disrupts the whole operation of the territorial parish system in the United States, as it were, is that, um, yeah, there was this really strong parochial model of linking parishes and schools. But then what happens is that the schools the enrollment declines, particularly as as Catholics um, elevate the, their social mobility rises. And so many Catholics move, you know, these immigrant Catholics, right, who then suddenly have have more money to move maybe outside of the inner core of the city or they move to a different part of town. The church is left behind, but then suddenly there are no kids going to the schools. So a lot of these schools close. Um, and what has happened in the school system in the U.S. Catholic Church is that more of these schools are shared across multiple parishes, so you may go to one parish, but then drive your kids to a school in another spot. Um, the 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 piece that connects here too is that this generates um, a heightened um acceptance really of an expectation almost of mobility among American Catholics um, that the original parish territorial parish system didn't necessarily anticipate, right? So if we're basically crossing boundaries to attend or to take our kids to another school, um then suddenly it seems like those parish boundaries don't really matter anymore. Um and in fact uh some some scholars call this parish shopping of mm. uh, where Catholics, um, and it's true, Catholics will increasingly cross parish boundaries to go where they feel at home. And this is especially true for Catholics of color. Um, so, you know, why do you choose where you go? So this, this idea of choice in balance with this um, territorial parish system that supposedly ascribes you to a particular place. Um, and then you you add to that, to, to your point, these all of these ironies about how um, parishes um, actually manifest different types of ideologies that that Americans espouse. So for example, on on politics, you know, if you're talking about a parish where you feel at home, um, you might feel more at home among uh Catholics who vote the way that you do or who think about social issues the way that you do. Um, and so you see these parishes, both personal and territorial, beginning to take um, distinctive characteristics that essentially embed the broader structure of of, uh, social tension and social boundaries that Americans use uh, at large in their lives to think about who their us is and who their them is.
0: (laughs) Now, there's there's so much here to talk about, Tricia. You you use the analogy of shopping and you you talk in the, the book about a marketplace model of analysis, which is a very I think an incredibly rich way of, of thinking about this that, that you, you've offered to us and um, you, you you have a great line uh, somewhere in the book where you talk about the tensions that exist when mobile people encounter immobile infrastructure right. what, what do you mean by that
1: <laughs> yeah you know um there there's many pieces of this. You know, one piece, of course, is that uh, you have, like, for example, a city like St. Louis, um, a very Catholic city, you know, was once sort of considered like the Rome of the West, um, with a, a pretty highly Catholic population in the core of the city, a lot of parishes that, many of which were organized on this original um, national parish model, too. So, and even the territorial parishes, the, the joke oftentimes is, well, it's, it's a territorial parish, but really, it's an Irish parish. Mm. parish um, mm. And so, so these these structures in the center of town. Well, then what happens, and, and this is of course contextualized by a highly racialized history too, uh, in terms of some of the why this happens, but you have a, 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 a you know, some call it white flight or mm-hmm. a massive exodus or change of, of people who um, decide to live then elsewhere in the city. And in the case of St. Louis, that, you know, decimated the Catholic population in the urban core of town. That oh. plus you had a Um, still to this day, of course, a a higher proportion of African-Americans and um, and there's a a really deep and and painful racialized history there in terms of uh, the relationship between African-Americans and the the Catholic Church Um, and I think it's fair to say in part because of that, um, there's a much smaller proportion of African-Americans who are Catholic. So you have um, essentially Catholics moving right, Um, and buildings staying and then the other thing you have is even if if people do live in certain neighborhoods, they might drive to wherever they want to go, right? Um, And so then bishops have to think through, what do we do with these spaces? You know, what do we do with these churches? In some cases, they're beautiful structures um, that they want to preserve they don't want to sell they want to be an active um, viable space so they they might look to that and say you know what we can do even though the territory does not justify having another territorial parish it doesn't make sense because the population isn't big enough what we do need is is a Vietnamese personal parish, so why don't we, you know, tell the Vietnamese Catholics, hey, you all want a, a personal parish? You want a parish of your own where you can celebrate mass in your language, integrate the the, um, the traditions that are meaningful to you? This is your parish, right? So pointing out a, a church building, saying this is now yours, and then they can drive from anywhere to get there. So it becomes this really interesting mix of, bottom-up grassroots change, and then top-down management of parishes across a broader diocese, which is uh, very much driven also by dynamics of power, because Catholics, of course, don't have the power to constitute parish spaces on their own.
0: Right. Now, your subtitle of your book, Parish in Place, is Making Room for Diversity in the American Catholic Church. Uh, How much diversity does this system actually allow for? You describe the personal parish structure as representing edge churches, a really wonderful way of expressing the concepts that you're describing, edge churches. How edgy are they ever going to be?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who, you know, how much room is there? And, you know, the the Catholic Church, of course, has a phenomenal means of absorbing a lot of dissent. I mean, even if you just look at the number of American Catholics who disagree with core Catholic teachings on birth control or otherwise, um, you know, people dissent from within, they stay. Um, But the parish structure is an interesting one to look at because it formally codifies that kind of distinctive character. So these parishes, uh, yeah, suddenly there's a place for those who want that highly traditional, traditional Latin mass. Suddenly there's a place for those who are particularly attracted to the social justice teachings of the church. Um, Although I think there's a side argument for that, too, um, that I found evidence for that sometimes this is a containment strategy, right? This is a way to put those Catholics um, in one place um, so they, they won't be in the rest of the parish. Um, but to, yeah, to, to your question, though, yeah, are there? Um, could there be more personal parishes for other things? Yeah, but there. It, it's interesting to see what there's not. Like, for example, there are um, what could be called de facto personal parishes for gay Catholics or gay-friendly parishes, um, but none of these have a formal uh, personal parish designation. Um, there are uh churches outside of the Roman Catholic Church that uh it that um integrate highly traditional ver- uh forms of catholicism through what you could call breakaway mm-hmm. groups in the church um but these are not within the framework of the the formal uh you know canonical church um so it, i mean sometimes something may be a proxy for some of these other things so maybe you know you call it an ethnic church but really it's a place where you know particular iterations or varieties of Catholicism can flourish. Um, but the the naming matters and the official designation matters, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's why I think this is very much a story about how um you know how power works, how authority works um in tandem with this sort of American uh, tendency and and penchant for for choice um, within this broader system.
0: Well, your your conclusion to that statement really draws me to my next question, which is to observe that from a European perspective, uh, what you describe in such a complex and rich way in this book, Parish and Place, um, might seem to some of our observers uh, to represent the Americanization of Catholicism. Uh, At the start of the book, you you, you quote people worrying about a creeping congregationalism or even an individualism that's um, manifesting within Catholic parish structures. Uh, How do you respond to that as a sociologist?
1: Yeah, you know, um, I I think there... There, I think you can see this two ways. I mean, one, I think that this is very much evidence of um, the Catholic Church adapting to the um, the milieu of the United States that is heavily Protestant, that is um, congregationally focused. I mean, re- regardless of what. Uh, religious, local religious organization looks like elsewhere. Somehow when it shows up in the U.S., it looks like a congregation. You know, it has this sort of particular uh, form. And there's this expectation, too, that, that flourishes within the context of religious freedom, that one can find a place that is right for you you know well are you a young mom who needs a daycare and um you know a place that's not too far away that speaks your language you know there is a place for you back to this marketplace ideology mm-hmm. um but this is you know this is intention then with um with how the catholic church is supposed to work right or, or what kind of canon law says or even this ideal that many of my interviewees would talk about of the this highly integrated territorial parish, you know, a place where you're around people who are of different ages, different ethnicities different backgrounds, different social class status, um, and what a what a beautiful opportunity that is to bridge those kinds of differences in a single place. But mm-hmm. the fact is that the territorial parish is highly segregated on so many fronts, um, and it is imperfectly realizing that kind of integration and community. And so the personal parish system in many ways is a, is a response to that um, imperfect ability of ter- territorial parishes to bridge community across difference.
0: Huh. and a, a number of your interviews are quite aware of the po- possible dangers of segregation that this system might represent and uh, i think a number of your respondents were quite nuanced in the way they spoke about racism as well
1: yeah it's it's really you know it was it was a challenging project in that sense and challenging to write about because even in a single interview there would sometimes be contradictions where Someone would place would uphold for really good reasons the value of a a homophilous space, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you say if people want to share the language and especially if they're marginalized in social life Otherwise, you know uh, religion is a really powerful space to come together and mobilize and build up shore up one's own social identity and find power and comfort in being around others. You know, I, I refer at one point in the book to personal parish attendees as uh, territorial parish refugees, you know, they are, um, perhaps have had really negative experiences as minorities in territorial parishes. And so the personal parishes create a home, but then there's this other, yeah, really problematic side of it potentially that says, well, that's not how it's supposed to work. You know, the, these parishes essentially embed and codify a, Um, a system that is organized and separated along the lines of race. I mean, I comment on there's different histories that matter here too, but even in the case of the um, of African Americans, um, you know, there are a much smaller number of African American or Black um, Americans serving personal parishes, in part because it conjures this very negative and painful history mm. of exclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the Black church did not was not an outgrowth of the national parish model. You know, the Black church was an outgrowth of segregation and exclusion, and Black Catholics being told, "You don't belong here. You huh. cannot go to our parish," and so to have a system today that for some may feel really great and like home and welcome can be at the same time this this painful reminder of no you're not welcome in the territorial parish.
0: It's that kind of nuance and complexity I think makes your book so brilliant as an an explanation of this phenomenon but as a sociologist again as you survey the complexity of the personal parish model do you think that it represents the success or the failure of the Catholic Church in America,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. You know, this is the luxury of being a sociologist, right? Is that we get to we get to hedge on these normative claims. Right. <laughs> so, right. You know, you, you turn over these um, the empirical data to decision makers and say good luck. Um, but but I do think it you know it, it reflects some really important dynamics in terms of what the Catholic Church looks like in the United States. I mean, you know that. Um, there are, for one, there are a huge number of ex-Catholics uh, in the U.S. In fact, if they were their own denomination, they would be one of the largest. Sure. Um, and um, so many are leaving. And then who's coming? You know, who is joining the church? And part of the growth actually comes from uh, new immigrant groups. It comes from higher levels of fertility among Hispanic Catholics. Um, and it comes from retention and vitality in spaces that feel alive. Um, and, and I think that you know, part of what um, the adaptation that that I see um, through the personal parish model, which you know, personal parishes are not as common as territorial parishes, so they're not on par at that um, at that same level. But I think it is an acknowledgement of there there needs to be a way to retain and foster the vitality of. Uh, Catholics in the United States that caters to this penchant for choice, um, because otherwise there's the risk and evidence of um, the outcome that that people leave, okay. that people don't feel at home, that people feel excluded, um, that people don't find a place um, that is comfortable. And, you know, we talk about religion in a big macro way, but it's experienced in a very you know, micro and, and meso way, right? Mm-hmm. We, we live it ourselves as individuals, and then we live it together in community, in parishes. And so, um, you know, I don't know if all of that adds up to success or failure. However, I do think it's a really good test mm-hmm. of, you know, what does it take to have a vibrant, uh, a parish community that tries to balance this uh, tension between um, individual personal characteristics and preferences with this greater desire to be in community with the whole.
0: Well, Tricia, we've taken up a lot of your time today discussing parish in place, making room for diversity in the American Catholic Church. But before we wind up, could you tell us a little bit about what you're working on at the moment? You mentioned earlier on you had a new book coming out.
1: Yes, I have a book coming out soon uh, that I've co-edited with a couple colleagues, Gary Adler and Brian Starks, called American Parishes Remaking Local Catholicism. That's coming out with Fordham University Press uh, in a couple months. Uh, And then I'm I'm working on another project that looks at uh, what happens to churches, the actual buildings, um, once they are no longer used for worship purposes. Uh, And so the, the thread here is, you know, really a lot of my work is looking at the containers of religion i'm right? looking at looking at parishes looking at churches um and then thinking through in the case of churches what does that mean for this kinds of these kinds of transition that we're seeing uh both in the u.s and and globally so keep an eye out for that my website is uh com, t-r-i-c-i-a bruce.com and I, I try to keep updates on there so that people know what, what's coming out
0: well that sounds fantastic uh, i look forward to seeing that when it does appear In the meantime, thanks for writing this book, Parish in Place, Making Room for Diversity in the American Catholic Church, just published by Oxford University Press. And thanks for coming on to the show to talk about it. Thanks for your time and take care. Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone else for listening today. I'll see you next time on New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast.